I always feel like I don't quite know how to dress for church now because it's like cold at my house and then I come here, it's super hot. So I'm really jealous of Indy's, uh, Indy's jeans and, jeans and uh, sandals look. <laughs> There's nothing more winter in San Diego than G's and sandals, you know, <laughs> jeans and sandals. Um, yeah, it, it's such a joy to be with you all this morning. Um, like Obed, Pastor Obed said, uh, my name is Tylon Pervinecki. I'm a missionary to college students here at UC San Diego. Uh, and I've had the privilege of calling King's Cross Church, this church, my home for a little over two years now, which is pretty crazy. I can't, it's kind of crazy to me that I've been here for two years. Like so much has happened. Like, you know, I've been gotten married since then. So <laughs> feels like a lifetime ago. Um, and I don't know why you guys would re- remember this, um, but but I do. It's pretty memorable for me. So I actually spoke uh, at King's Cross Church. Like I actually preached here for the first time um, last Advent series on actually the very same topic that we're going to be talking about today, joy. Um, and last year I said there's only two things that you really need to know about me and then everything else will make sense about why I am the way that I am. Uh, the first is that I, I am one of the fabled uh, Florida mans. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in Florida. I had alligators in my backyard. And the second is that uh, I grew up homeschooled for most of my life. And so you put those two things together and you get this strange person that you see before you. Um, but as Obed pointed out, uh, that used to be all that you need to know and you'd be like, oh, that makes sense that you're that way. Uh, but those two things are still true, and I have to amend them this year with one more thing. Um, that's definitely an improvement over the other two, and that's that I'm now the husband to the most phenomenal wife on the planet, Katie, over there. So if you're like, why is he so weird? Homeschool in Florida, man. <laughs> but if you're also like, you know, like, but he's not so bad. It's not because of me. It's, it's because of my wife. So <laughs> anyway. Enough about me. Let's talk about joy, shall we? Last week, Pastor Obed kicked us off on our two-part Advent series with hope, about how Jesus' coming both fulfills our hope and how his death and resurrection also continues to give us a steadfast hope. And so today we'll be stepping into the topic of joy, and and we'll see as we work through it how it's intimately connected with hope. Um, But I just want to be honest with you guys for a second, I had a really, really hard time um, preparing for this sermon, actually, this morning. Um, I, it, it's hard to do in general, but, but today this talk was really difficult for me. Uh, and I, I was initially tempted just to give the same exact sermon that I gave last year, because why would anybody remember that? Um, and we have a number of new people now anyways. But, but I realized that my, my understanding of biblical joy has deepened significantly since the last year as a result of the mess that we now call 2020. Um, and I think, I think that's why I, I, I struggled so much. Like having these two sermons of joy almost as, of, as bookends of just this really full year packed with, with great things like, like marriage and really, really hard things as well. And I, I ended up... Um, on Friday, I ended up just like sitting down and just prayerfully like journaling through all the stuff that had happened. Um, I'm looking at all of this hard stuff, and then just turning around, being like, "Yay, joy!" I was like, "Doesn't it, it didn't it didn't quite work?" There's there's almost like this this dissonance in my soul, 
And yet, as, as I wrestled with the Lord through that, um, as I saw all of the like pain and hardship in, in my life and in the life around me, I, I, I began to hear the harmony and began to glimpse, get, began to like see a new glimpse, a, a new angle of what true God-given joy is in the midst of the dark. So I confess that a, a lot of this sermon is, is born out of my own personal wrestlings, and I'm, I'm really hoping that you guys can relate to some of it. Um, but, but my hope this morning is that by, by inviting you guys into this wrestling that, that I've experienced to, to set each of you up as well for, for a similar journey um, and to help you begin to see the joy of the Lord in, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of hardship and, and suffering. And so we'll, we'll embark on this together looking at the same passage as we did last week, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Um, and, and we'll take this journey together by looking at that three truths that are imparted to us through Isaiah 9. That we dwell in a dark and dreary world. That joy is found in the light of Christ. And that joy is deepened through our darkness. But before we jump in, let me, let me go ahead and pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I pray um, that you would continue to be in our midst, Lord, we rejoice and, and we're remembering as we go through our Advent um, this truth of, of Emmanuel, of God with us, that, that you came down with us and that you, are con- that you continue to be with us today. So Lord, I pray um, that you would really open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say from us, from, our word, from your word. Um, and Lord, would you be glorified this morning Um, through my words, through our songs, and through our actions. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee to the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice because of you, as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Man, when I get a great passage, I get, I get goosebumps pretty much every time I read a passage like this. I, I love it. So first, 
the first truth that we see from this is, is that we live in a, in a dark and dreary world. And like I said, like, I, I love this passage. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's incredibly hope-filled and, and joy-filled passage, but, but we have to start here with this truth. Because w- without this truth, the rest of this passage, it, it doesn't really make sense. And, and Isaiah starts off his passage by, by alluding to or referencing this, this truth as well, right? It, it, it comes through especially strong in like verses one, two, and four. Because he says, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, which means that there was anguish. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. So they walked and dwelt in just, in, in darkness all, all around them. Right? In verse four, it, he speaks of oppression and slavery. And in verse five, of, of war and violence. And so Isaiah, he, he alludes to a reality that, that we all know and experience, that we live in, in, in a dark and dreary world. And I think as humans, but, but especially here in the U.S., we, we have a tendency to, to try and ignore that reality. We, we don't want to face it. It, it feels easier. It, it feels better to believe that the things are generally good or they're, they're generally okay and the world is basically good and we're, we're just working out the kinks as, as, a, as humanity, but, but, but that's just not ultimately true. We all know it. And, and I think what's, what's really unique about this past year is that it's forced us to, to really see the reality that we live in. And like I said in my opening, I spent some time on Friday just, just prayerfully journaling through what has happened in, in my life and, and what I've seen happening around me this year. And, and, and it's, been, it's been rough. There's been darkness both, both on the larger scale but also in the mundane and, and the seemingly not quite as important. And I can just give you like a, a brief glimpse uh, of what I mean by that. Um, I remember, I think in March, we, we had, a, like I said, I, I minister at UCSD. We had our last large group gra- gathering with our students. We all gathered together. Um, we were about to go on our spring break trip and we had to announce to everybody, like, hey, spring break trip's canceled. Also, this is our last gathering. Uh, we might not get to see you guys. And then as the months went on, realizing that we probably wouldn't actually get to see our seniors face-to-face before they graduated. And then as the pandemic started to just spread all over the world, just just seeing death all around and feeling like this existential threat kind of become a reality. I can actually remember like the moment I was like, oh, this is, this is real. I was sitting with my roommates. Um, we were watching some NBA games and then like an NBA game just like suddenly got like canceled. The players were on the court and they just sent them off um, because one of them had tested positive for COVID. And I was like, it, it just, like, for whatever reason, that moment, like, it became real for me. And then we had to go through planning our wedding in the middle of a pandemic. That's fun. <laughs> uh, there's just, like, this, like, hope and joy of, of marriage, but then there's also the, like, you wanted 300 guests? Boom, 50 guests. <laughs> um, 
time to call everybody who RSVP'd and tell them they can't come anymore. And then to still have some people call who are still invited and say, hey, we can't come. Like, that's, it, 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 we understand, but there, there's still sorrow there. And then in the midst of, of that sorrow, I remember just seeing and watching in, in anguish and just just having my eyes open to the violence and oppression that exists in our country. Um, when I watched with really the rest of the world as, as George Floyd was killed and his protests and it, it just like erupted and I had to come face to face probably for the really first time in my life with the, with the biases that, that I possess. And that wasn't fun either. <laughs> right, and then we got married, which, which was a great um, respite, and we went on our honeymoon. And then as we were, we went to Florida for our honeymoon, I was driving over to my parents, and then my mom called me and was like, hey, actually, you should just drive an extra hour to the hospice care home because your grandfather is about to die. You should come see him before he dies. And then on top of all of that, there's this week, um, which might be something that some of you guys are experiencing, but we were going to spend Christmas with my family in Colorado, and we just had to cancel it. So it, 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 this is just like a small vignette of what like one life has looked like this year, of, of my life. But, but I'm sure each of you can relate in, in one way or another to the different things that, that I mentioned here. As I, I think about these experiences, I feel like, you know, maybe for the, the first time in my life, I can really relate to the Israelites that, that Isaiah is talking to in this passage. Because they, he, he says they've dwelt in a land of deep darkness. They, they, they're like dwelling in this moment when this, this is written. They're dwelling with this existential threat of these two rising empires, Assyria and Babylon, that are coming for them. They're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. And, and there's sin and, and brokenness and oppression as they oppress one another. If you read the historical books, you see like all these evil kings that are leading God's people astray. And it's, it's just not a pretty picture. And it's like, man, I can, I can, I get it now. I get what it says when it says man, that they've been dwelling in darkness. And you know, as we, as we sit here, we kind of do this every new year, really, but we're always like, oh, like 2020 is over, 2021 is coming, it'll be a better year. I remember seeing all of the, all of the internet memes for that um, at the end of 2019, how 2020 was going to be better. <laughs> Those are kind of funny to look back on now. Uh, and you know, next year, we'll, it'll, it'll probably be a bit better, right? We have a vaccine on the way, like some, some things will, will be better. But there's still going to be so much sorrow and pain and anguish, right? And, and the reality is, regardless about your background or, or what you believe, pretty much everyone can agree that we, we have this base feeling that at some level, we live in a world gone wrong. That th it's not supposed to be this way. And the, the Bible shares that same truth too. We, we can see it all over scripture. We see it here in Isaiah 9, that they've, they've dwelt in a land of deep darkness, but... If you go right back and, and read some of the books of the Bible, like it's, 
it's not a, it's not a kid's book. It, it's rough. You can read the, the book of Judges and you see oppression and, and violence and um, murder and rape and, and all of these things. Like the, the Bible touches on them. You, you see them in these accounts. There's, there's anguish and evil in this world. And, and as you read these stories in scripture and as we walk on this earth and we're like, well, we still see this around us today. We, we just, like our souls and, and, and all of creation really cries out with us. And it's like, why is it like this? We know it's not supposed to be this way, but it's the way that it is. And the Bible has an answer for that too. Way back in Genesis 3, God created the world and God created mankind and, and it was good. And mankind lived under the authority of God and had authority over the world. But then humanity said, you know what? Let's forego God. Let's define good and evil on our own terms instead of what God says. And from that point on, this, this darkness that we see all around us has reigned, infecting all of creation. And, and we see the, that evil in, in, in disease and in death, but also in our own selves, in our own ugly sins. Like I said, I had to face probably for the first time the, the reality that like, I participated at some point in my life in the sin of racism. That was new. But it's true. I have an evil heart. Or, or the sin of, of hatred, of selfishness. We live in a dark world. And, and I want to be clear that there's absolutely good things in this world too, right? That, that, that things that definitely bring us joy. We can take joy in things like, like our friendships and relationships, in, in weddings and, and in nature. Like we're, we're in a really beautiful place out here. Um, and, and these things do bring some light and life to our world, but, but it's never enough to bring lasting joy, right? A beautiful sunset always comes to an end. Friendships, they, they go awry because you're friends with sinners and you're also a sinner. Kind acts are, are soured by selfish ones. And the darkness of our world just, just seeps in to, to all of these, like, small joyful lights until it just it just exhausts it. Worldly joys, worldly happiness, it is ultimately based on circumstance, and every worldly circumstance is tainted by sin and darkness until it's utterly overcome by it. Because the reality is we live in a world filled with darkness and sin. And if you are really feeling that darkness right now. Or if you're looking back on your year and you're like, man, like that's, that's been rough. Then this passage, I Isaiah chapter nine is for you. Because the main message of this pa passage of, of Isaiah nine is that the story doesn't end here. It doesn't end with darkness. And so now that we're all thoroughly depressed, Let's move on to the second point. The story doesn't end here because joy is found in the light of Christ. 
right? In the midst of a dark and dreary world, light has come. That's the main, that's just like what this passage is all about. And, and that's why it gives me goosebumps almost every time I read it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Sorry, the wind is blowing my Bible everywhere. Hold on a second. <laughs> they rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest. They're glad when they divide the spoil. Man, darkness is around us, but light and life has come. This light brings enormous joy. That's what verse three is all about. Verse four talks about how light, this light breaks the yoke of oppression. Verse five talks about how this light brings peace, everlasting peace. What is Isaiah saying here? He's, he's saying it's, it's over. The time of darkness is coming to an end. Light is coming, lasting light, true lasting joy has come and it is made available to all people. And when I picture myself or, or anyone reading this passage for the first time, when we really like realize the darkness that we're in and we read this passage, we're like, yeah, it's here, awesome, light is here, let's go. And then pausing for a second and being like, wait, wait hold on a second actually, but, but what I, exactly is here? Because it's like dense Hebrew poetry and it's making references to all of these things. Like what, what is this joy that it's talking about? Like what is, and who is this light that we're talking about here? So let's jump into, into those two questions here. What is the joy that's described in verse three? Because it, it clearly, it can't be just like the kitschy cheer up or turn that frown upside down kind of, kind of joy. Because that's probably not what you want to tell a people that are about to be conquered by one of the most feared empires in history. Uh, Tim Mackey, one of the producers of the Bible Project, he, he has a really great definition of what joy is. I, I love this. The, the joy described here, true joy, is rooted in the past. It looks to the future and is all connected together through God's faithful character. Right? Joy is rooted in the past. It looks to the future. And it's all connected together through God's faithful character. So let's break it down. Rooted in the past, Isaiah 9.4 is where we see that in this passage. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now what is this talking about? So remember, this was originally written to the Israelites, and the Israelites, they have a shared history that Isaiah is referencing here. And the cool thing is we have access to that history because it essentially makes up our whole Old Testament in our Bibles. So we can actually go and find what he's talking about here. And he's, he's referencing a story of God's redemption of his people from another oppressing nation, the Midianites. And you, you can actually go and, and read about it in, in Judges chapter eight. It's the story of Gideon, how he, how he rescues, uh, how God uses him to rescue Israel um, from the oppressing Midianites. He uses them to, to free Israel. And so Isaiah is reminding Israel of God's faithfulness to them in the past and helping them to root their joy 
and what God has done for them in the past. Next, joy is connected to future hope. And, and we can see that that's really what this whole passage is about. It's connecting their joy to the future hope. But especially in verses 6 and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He's, he's, ref, he's connecting this to a future hope. He's giving them future hope. He's like, hey, we're not going to be here forever. Something else is coming. So it's not only rooted in the past, but this joy in verse 3 is connected to a future hope. And finally, it, it's all held together by God's faithful character. But it, it, it's God's faithfulness, it's his character that really makes these two things work together. Because he is the only thing that is not touched by the darkness that we've been talking about. He is faithful, he is unchanging, he is good and gracious and loving. And when we remember how we, how, what we've seen him do in the past, it gives credence, it gives credit to the promises that he gives for our future. And that's exactly what's happening here. Isaiah is saying in this passage to the Israelites, hey, just, just as I was faithful to free you from the oppression of the Midianites, so I will be faithful to deliver you from this anguish, from this sorrow and darkness that you dwell in at the coming of this light. And it's all rooted in God's faithfulness to us. So it's a joy that ultimately, like, like Dan was sharing as he was leading worship, it's a joy that's ultimately not rooted in our present circumstance but rather a joy that is rooted in the character of our faithful and loving God. So that's the joy of verse three. So who is the light described in verse two? Who is this kid? Who is this promised king? The gospel of John in the Bible, it, it gives us a great answer. So in John chapter one, verses nine through 14, uh, I'm just gonna read this, this whole passage real quick because it, it really ties it together well. So starting in verse nine, the in, of uh, John 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The, the light, John is literally like making a direct reference to Isaiah 9 here. He's saying, guess what? The light has come. And if we were in Sunday school, we would all say together, the light is Jesus. <laughs> it, it, it's Jesus. God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus, the promised light, the future hope, the, the, the future king that Isaiah is talking about. He's the one who brings light to the darkness. And, and I don't know if you guys feel this, but for me, like this Christmas, it, it feels almost more meaningful than past ones. I was like looking forward to it way more than I have in the past. I, I love Christmas, so that's, that's really saying something. But it's, it's because like we see this darkness that we're in and, and Christmas reminds us, hey, the light has come, the light is here. The light is with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and it's with us in Jesus. And in John 1, John kind of gives like an outline of, of why Jesus is this light for us. 
because he is the very son of God, God himself, part of the triune God, who chose to come down in the flesh. And we could just like, we kind of forget about that, but we've been talking about the dark and dreary world we live in. And picture like God in like, in the heavens and in perfection. And he's being like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go down there with them. Like, that's pretty crazy. So Jesus comes down into our dark and dreary world. He, he lives the life that we could never live. He's the only light that was never snuffed out. And the world tried so hard to do that. And then he died the death that we all deserve on the cross. He sacrificed himself for, for our sake on the cross. And in that moment, it looked like darkness had won, that the one true light had been put out. But glory to be to God that our hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that on the third day, he rose from the dead. And because of that, we, we have hope because Jesus has taken the, 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 the punishment, the, the judgment that we deserve for, for our sins, for our wrongs, for the darkness in us, and he has taken that upon himself and paid the price for them and gifted us the righteousness of God, the life that he has lived so that when we call on the name of the Lord, we can be called children of the living God, children of this light. That's just incredible. This gospel is our source of true joy because of what God has done for us and because of the hope that his great and precious promises to us bring, right? Because we've been saved and so we know that God is with us, that God is in us, that Emmanuel consider, continues today. And we know that death is not the end, that death is the final enemy, but after that we have life and eternal life with God in heaven forever. And this is where we can find and experience true and lasting joy. Because a God-given joy, as, as we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection and what that means for our future as we recall our future hope and lean on the faithful character of Christ that connects them together. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And it is a firm foundation for our joy because it's the one circumstance that can never change. No matter what, when we give our lives to Christ, we will always be sons and daughters of the living God. Isn't that just amazing? So we have this joy that is found in the light of Christ which is awesome. And yet, we also aren't quite there yet, are we? It's not all sunshine and roses in our lives. Like that, that was what the, f the first point was all about. Christ has come, and yet our future hope hasn't quite been fulfilled. We still live in a broken and messed up world. So much so that all of this talk of joy, it, it might still cause a dissonance in you as it did in me. Because I, I don't know about you, but it's really hard for me to, to look back on this past year and be like, uh, how does he say it in Isaiah 3? To look back on this past year and rejoice with the joy at the time of harvest. To be like, yeah, joy this year. 
And, and this, this is the arena where, where my understanding of God given joy has deepened the most this year. And that's that her joy is actually deepened through the darkness that we experience in our lives. Joy is deepened through darkness and suffering. And I know this sounds like kind of like an oxymoron and, and incredibly foreign because joy seems so at odds with suffering and sorrow and darkness that we think it has to either be one or the other. It has to be, you can't be both joyful, experiencing joy and experiencing deep sorrow at the same time, that we can't be experiencing joy and suffering at the same time. It's either joy or sorrow, but it can't be both. And while this is true of worldly joy, it's not true of biblical joy that we've been talking about. And we see examples of this all over scriptures. In, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we hear, we've, we've probably heard that fairly often, but we just, just like think about that for a second. Jesus is saying like, hey, if you're in mourning, if you're in sorrow, then you're blessed. I've never seen an Instagram post that'd be like, hashtag blessed, I'm crying right now because I'm so sad. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is saying. In, in Matthew 5, it continues, rejoice in persecution. In Acts 5, we see some of the apostles as they're preaching the gospel, they're taken to the council um, of the Jewish leaders and they're, and they're like beaten or flogged. And as they leave, Acts 5.41 says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. What? Acts 13.52, Paul and Barnabas, they are preaching the gospel in a city. We've seen this pretty, pretty frequently in Acts. They're preaching the gospel in the city. Some people don't like it. They incite a riot. They get kicked out. And they get kicked out of the city and they like shake the dust of the city off their robes and they're moving on to the next city. And it says that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I've done like evangelism on college campuses before. I can tell you that I'm generally not filled with joy when a student is like, screw you, and just like leaves. <laughs> but they are. Right? And Paul in the New Testament letters, he talks about how he lives in 2 Corinthians 6.10. He says he lives as sorrowful and yet rejoicing. Sorrow and joy side by side. And so many of Paul's joy-filled letters, like if you read Philippians, you're like, man, this dude is full of joy. And he writes Philippians while he's in prison, which is crazy. So what's going on here? We see very clearly that biblical joy does not involve suppressing or ignoring our negative emotions but rather it's, it's often experiencing joy alongside these emotions that we have, sorrow and joy. Biblical joy in darkness is an invitation to embrace that sorrow, to embrace our pain, to embrace our hurt and our suffering, and then to take the risk of hope to take the risk of hope and trust that as in the past, God's ultimate purposes and love will be victorious in the end. Just as Isaiah calls the Israelites to trust that God will be victorious in Isaiah chapter nine. But there's still just like a little bit more to it than that. 
Because notice, I didn't only say that we can find joy in the midst of darkness, but that our experience of that joy can actually be deepened through darkness and suffering that we experience. Like, what, what do I mean by that? Let me, let me try to explain that through a couple of examples. This next example is, is kind of gross. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's true, and it's actually helped me to really process this. Um, about a month ago, I had a really bad stomach virus. It was not COVID. I got, I got texted, uh, tested. Texted. I got tested, thankfully. I had this really bad stomach virus. And in classic stomach virus fashion, it hit me at like midnight so that I had to be up all night. <laughs> so uh, I was in the bathroom, you know, doing stomach virus things, throwing up in a bowl and stuff. Um, but this is the first time I've been like truly sick while married. So I was like throwing up in, into the to like toilet and everything. And Katie, my wife, was in the bathroom with me, just kind of like rubbing my back and then taking care of me. Um, as I like tried to like clean myself off and stuff, and man, like when when I'm sick, when I'm throwing up, like that's me at my worst. <laughs> like I'm like angry. I think the world is the worst thing in the world. Like everything just sucks. <laughs> and in that like moment of suffering, like Katie's love for me in that moment, it it the way that she like served me, it just really deepened my understanding of, of her love for me. It deepened my experience of that. Like, I knew Katie loved me before. She married me, so I, I really hope that she did. <laughs> um, but in that moment, there was like a deepening of that love as I was experiencing suffering because of the way that she cared for me in the midst of that. You know, and, and just as my experience of Katie's love for me was, was deepened, as I saw for a care for me while I was sick, the hope we have in Christ, the love, peace, justice, grace, and mercy of God, all these things are made all the more beautiful as we experience hardship and suffering. And that really is why this Christmas is so much more meaningful than any other Christmas, because I see the, the pain and sorrow and darkness in my life and in the world around me more clearly than I ever have. And as a result, the beauty and light and life of the kingdom of God shines all the brighter. It, it accentuates the light of Christ. And it makes me think, man, I cannot wait for Jesus to come. Because then my hope will become sight. And light, like the, everything that Isaiah 9 is talking about, the, that, that has in a way already happened, but kind of still not yet, will come to pass. And as my hope in God grows, so too grows my joy. And man, there's no better, there's no better tool of evangelism than having joy in the midst of suffering. Like if you can be, if, if you are experiencing the joy of the Lord while you're walking through pain and hardship, everybody around you notices that. Everybody. They're like, how, how can you be that like that in the midst of that? And, and this, that, that your hope in God and your joy in God is, would grow through darkness and suffering, that's my prayer for you too. That as you see the dark and dreary world all around you, and as you find true joy in the light of Christ, that you wouldn't suppress the sorrow and suffering that you might feel, that you wouldn't try to like force yourself into that, 
but rather even in sorrow, as you're experiencing it, you would also experience the deepening joy of the Lord as your circumstances cause you cause your hope in God to shine all the brighter. So with that, here, here's my, my challenge to you. I, at least for me, Christmas has always kind of been like a good like reflection time. So I would encourage you to just take some time to prayerfully work through your experiences this past year. Just sit down with a, a pen and paper or if you want to be a really hipster, a pen and napkin. Got a cop. Oh, we can't be at coffee shops anymore. Never mind. <laughs> um, and, and just prayerfully work through the, the good and the bad and the ugly of this year that you've experienced. And then remind yourselves of the finished work of Christ and the future hope we have in him. And I would encourage you to do that by just spending some time in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And you'll like skim through them, find a, find a reading plan. If you want to go really hardcore, it's pretty fun. You can read through the entire Gospel of Mark in maybe an hour, hour and a half. It's the shortest one. Um, and remind yourself of what Christ has done for us and the future hope that we have in him. And see the character of Christ and know his faithfulness. And then just take some time and pray that the Lord would increase your joy in him, even in the midst of darkness and sorrow and hardship that you might be experiencing this season. Because if there's one thing that Christmas shows us is that light and life has come. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we are just so, so grateful for what you have done for us. Um, Lord, we rejoice in your gospel. And Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to really see how we can find joy in the midst of sorrow and suffering. Lord, it has been a hard year. And yet we trust and have faith in what you have done for us in the past. We, we have faith in the future hope that you have given us. And so, Lord, as we remember the moment that your light began to dawn in this dark earth when Jesus was born. Lord, would we find joy in you, the joy that cannot be overcome by the sorrow that we experience. Lord, I pray this in your holy name.